0: Welcome to Office Hours, a social science podcast produced by the Society Pages at the University of Minnesota. Join us for conversations with prominent scholars, writers, and researchers as we discuss their ideas. Come in. In this episode, Professor Joyce Bell joins us to discuss her research on social welfare organizations that appeared as a result of the Black Power Movement in the 1960s and 70s. She explains how the radical legacy of activists in earlier phases of the movement lent both resources and tensions to the progressive social work undertaken by community organizations, many of which are still in existence today. Dr. Bell's book is called The Black Power Movement in American Social Work, and it's available from Columbia University Press. Joyce Bell, welcome to Office Hours, and I should say, welcome back to the University of Minnesota.
1: Thank you very much, thank you for having me.
0: Mm-hmm. So uh, you stopped in today to talk about your book, which was released last year. It's called the Black Power Movement and American Social Work. Uh, Now, this is a body of research, I think, that focuses on maybe a rarely talked about outcome of the 1960s American Black Power Movement. Namely, you show how the movement became institutionalized in its later phases. So to start off, uh, maybe you could just explain what sociologists mean when they say a social movement becomes institutionalized. And why this might challenge what people in this country might imagine when they reflect on the history of the Black Power movement. Mm
1: -hmm. So, in general, when sociologists talk about a movement becoming institutionalized, they generally mean a couple of different things. So, um, they might be referring to a movement that over time has become more professional, more... Um, like everyday politics as opposed to contentious politics and therefore talk about a movement as becoming um, more like other sorts of institutions and less like what we think of as a movement. Um, they might also be talking about um, a movement that has become institutionalized at the level of the state. So we think about the civil rights movement as having created um, the Civil Rights Act and Voting Rights Act and um, creating legislation. Therefore sociologists might think about a social movement as um, becoming incorporated into the state. So what I'm t- I'm saying that those ways of thinking about institutionalization miss something and so for me I'm interested in how movements get brought into the institutions of civil society and for me when I say civil society I mean something um, there's a debate around what civil society is I mean something pretty simple which is the sort of broad range of institutions that are not the state and not the family um, so educational institutions healthcare, that sort of broad range of big social institutions. So I was very interested in how the movements, ideas, strategies, and tactics of social movements get brought into uh, those sorts of spaces. Um, and so um, in that way, I'm sort of thinking about a, another way of thinking about movement institutionalization.
0: Yeah, so maybe specifically, um, could you talk a bit about the history of the Black Power Movement and the specific kinds of organizations that um, came out of the movement people might not know so much about?
1: Sure, so the Black Power Movement um, is generally placed as beginning around 1965 with the um, kind of end of the Watts Riots, Um, you have... uh, the radicalization of previous civil rights organizations like the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee that's shortened to SNCC. SNCC starts to radicalize over time. Um, There is the development of the phrase black power in around 1966 and really it's a movement that both um, starts to reject some of the integrationist tendencies of the civil rights movement, um, express the sort of disillusionment with the movement you have all these legal changes happening but not a lot of change on the ground in particular for poor working class um, black communities um, and so this movement really grows out of um, both a rejection of some of the ideas of the earlier civil rights movement but also disillusionment and disappointment really with what was happening as a result of that movement um, that movement is often characterized by the um, black panther party is the the organization that we most often associate um, with the Black Power Movement, but um, SNCC, again, as they radicalized. Other organizations um, include groups like the Revolutionary Action Movement, um, other radical uh, organizations that were developing at that time, but we really tend to associate with the Black Panther Party. Um, And so what my work does is to say, certainly those were the prime organizations of the movement, but that uh, the ideas of that movement spread more broadly into other sorts of organizations. In the case of my book, I'm talking about Black Professional Associations.
0: So, um, given that the Black Power Movement eventually took this kind of organizational turn, maybe you could talk a little bit about how and, and why that changed movement agendas and tactics?
1: Yeah, so um, one of the things that I was really interested in is um, you have during this period of the late 1960s um, a couple of things happening. You have African Americans entering white collar professions um, in much greater numbers than they had in the past. You also have um, the anti-poverty programs that the U.S. government is developing that require the development of new community organizations. And one of the requirements of those organizations is that they um, obtain maximum feasible participation from the communities that they are a part of. Those things combined meant that African Americans were becoming increasingly concentrated in helping professions social work being one of the primary ones um, that were sort of based in community so community based social work Um, this is coinciding with the dominance of black power ideas in such a way that the organizational structures of these social service agencies Provide a way to institutionalize the ideas of black power and to give sort of an organizational base to them So that's one of the ways that um, I talk about this as happening
0: mm. I'm wondering if there were any tensions I guess between the organizations that are uh, Carrying this legacy of the black power movement and then Maybe um, others in those organizations who came later or maybe the general public um yeah, in terms of uh, in terms of those strategies and tactics.
1: Absolutely. So, um, when we think about the idea that you end up with um, at the uh, beginning of the nineteen seventies, black studies departments, you end up with black professional associations—the ones that I'm talking about. You end up with changes to the curriculum. Um, um to include more african american content in educational institutions those outcomes um were not simply um given by existing organizations so the the question you asked is was there conflict within these organizations absolutely and in many cases what it looks like is um a movement happening within the organization to try to create change based on Uh, based on black power ideas so I look closely at the profession of social work and what I see happening is black social workers um, attempting to create change within the profession getting massive resistance to that change and so really carrying out a movement for example um, at the 1968 and 1969 meetings of the National Conference on Social Welfare black social workers take over the Stage, take over the microphone issue a list of demands and walk out Um, and it creates this movement like spectacle um, in an attempt to create change within that profession so absolutely there was um, uh, a lot of conflict within all sorts of organizations and my book just um, traces that conflict in one professional location
0: uh, Joyce, we've also mentioned that you're um, a graduate of the department here at the University of Minnesota, and uh, I think you did most of the research uh, for this book while you were a student here, right? I did. Cool. So I-, I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about what it was like doing historical sociology here as a graduate student.
1: Well, it for me, it was really uh, an amazing experience. I um, My advisor was ron amanzati i worked with him um, the whole time that i was here who is an amazing top-notch historical sociologist mm-hmm. And so I had a lot of support, a lot of guidance for the work that I wanted to do. Despite the fact that this is not a department that has a heavy concentration of historical sociologists, I had access to one of the best. And so for me, I had a, a really great experience. Um, most of my research was done at the Social Welfare History Archives here at the University of Minnesota. So I, was, um, I had access to an amazing resource as well in terms of um, information about this profession so i um, really had a um, great experience and was able to pull together um, really rich um, information about these organizations Um, there's also some amazing archivists um, in the library system here who were incredibly helpful in both training me to do this kind of research and making sure that I had what I needed. So I had a great experience.
0: Very cool. Well, Mm -hmm. um, I understand that you're now working on a project that examines whiteness and diversity, Mm. um, as well as another one that applies some of the framework from this book Mm -hmm. to the legacy of the Black Power Movement in African American law firms. Mm -hmm. Um, So to wrap up, I guess I was just wondering how you see your work coming together over broad sociological themes mm-hmm. and maybe talk a little bit about where you're headed from here.
1: Sure. So, the um, in general I think about my research as looking at um, organizations and in pro- and, and particular um, professional organizations, um, looking at the way that um, race operates within and through those organizations, and in particular, the kinds of conflict and contention that happens within organizations as a result of um, how we think about race, racism, and racial oppression. So, in general, um, that's sort of my general area. Um, I have this book. You, the first project you mentioned. I also work on um, uh, race-based policy in higher education. So right now I'm working on a paper that examines the way that harassment policy in higher education balances community members right to free speech so their first amendment rights um, and community members right to equal access to education and to have an education free of harassment those are um, competing interests in the law we don't often think about the fact that for some people to have the right to say whatever they want to say it means that other people might not have the right to um, not be harassed and so I'm trying to look at um, all harassment policy in the top 100 universities to see how policies balance um, those competing rights Um, the other project that you mentioned um, is that I'm working on a, a, a new book on the attorneys of the black power movement so I'm interested in lawyers who defended people like Angela Davis, Asada Shakur um, and in particular I am um, developing an organizational history of the National um, Conference of Black Lawyers which is an organization that developed in the late 1960s um, with the explicit aim to serve as the legal arm of the black revolution they were really um, interested in providing legal services for for radical activists. Um, So those are my two main projects right now, and um, I really, um, in the future, anticipate kind of maintaining both of those lines of research. Um, One on sort of the policy implications of how we do race in institutions, um, and the other on trying to continue to broaden how we think about the long-term impact of the Black Power Movement.
0: That sounds fantastic, Joyce. And in the meantime, if you're interested, uh, the book is called The Black Power Movement and American Social Work, and it's available from Columbia University Press. Joyce Bell, thank you so much for coming by Office Hours.
1: Thank you again for having me.